0: If you ask somebody how they're doing, if you say, well, how are you doing? And we probably asked each other maybe this morning, how are you doing? Um, Busy is probably a pretty common answer. How are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. Um, Or not feeling well, feeling ill. Uh, I think normally what we do is we list off the circumstances in our life. Like, oh, this is what's going on in my life, and these are the circumstances, therefore that's what I'm doing. If the circumstances are good, then I'm good. If the circumstances aren't good, then I'm not good. But even in those circumstances, like how are we like actually doing, regardless of whatever circumstances might be going on? How well do we go through difficult times? Because we're not guaranteed comfort. We are guaranteed suffering. Like no one's guaranteed comfort, even though we think it's owed to us. But we will always uh, be going through suffering. And I think it's easy for us to be prisoners to our circumstances. Like, it's really easy, of regardless, of whatever's going on out there determines what's going on in here. We might say we're free in Christ, but in reality, like, it's really easy for those who follow Jesus to be slaves to our circumstances. If things are going well, we're doing well. Things aren't going well, we're not doing well. But Jesus gives us another way to live. He rescues us from that kind of yo-yo existence of having to go from good thing to good thing to good thing, or having to be beheld from like bad thing to bad thing to bad thing. Like Jesus gives us a a deeper uh, joy to be able to survive and go through whatever life life throws at us. I mean, when Jesus gives us a new life, there's joy. And happiness is good, but joy is better because joy is something that transcends circumstance. And that doesn't mean we're gonna be happy all the time with these fake smiles kind of plastered on our faces but it does mean we're going to have a deep joy that persists, even when it feels like this world is conspiring to bring us down. And I, I need that kind of joy. I think we all need a joy that runs deeper than when good things happen. Like we all need a joy that can withstand the worst of circumstances, because many of us will experience the worst of circumstances. And King Jesus has come to give us joy and suffering. Again, we're not guaranteed comfort in this life. We are guaranteed suffering. so when we come through it, like, how are we going to act? What are we going to do? Well, that's kind of what the story is about. How did, how did to have joy in suffering? I mean, the story is basically all about suffering. And the very last verse is, uh, or the, the second to last verse, um, they were rejoicing, these people who were going through suffering. Because basically they're rejoicing because they were able to go through this kind of suffering. But how in the world could the apostles rejoice when they're like, getting flogged, and getting persecuted, and thrown to jail? Like the leaders in the society, religious or political, don't like them. How can they rejoice? I want to be able to be like that, and that's what the story is about. How can we have joy when we're going through suffering? So the three things we're going to look at. Um, first, we're going to look at how the mission brings suffering. The Bible is very honest about that. The mission that we're on, is going to bring suffering. Let's get to talk about um, how the mission that we're on also brings purpose and how the mission brings joy. So first, uh, how the mission brings suffering. Uh, the apostles' mission was to bring the message. And the message is controversial, and that means suffering is gonna come. Controversy is going to cause, conflict's gonna cause suffering. And there are many types of suffering. Uh, when you do something dumb in the world and you reap the consequences of the dumb thing that you did, that's suffering. When there's things that just happen out in the world, like coronavirus affects you, like that's suffering. Um, but then there's also a, a particular suffering here uh, of suffering for following Jesus, of being on his mission, being persecuted specifically for following Jesus. And uh, there's two things I think that are offensive in, in this passage. The first is the message itself. The gospel is not nice. It's not a nice thing. It's a great and wonderful thing, but it's definitely not nice. Look at um, verses uh, 28 through 32 um, of, uh, of chapter five. I'll just read them real quick. He said, um, this is the uh, the priest to Peter. We gave you the strict orders not to teach in his name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead whom we killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and Savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive them their sins. We're witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit who God has given to those who obey him. Now, I'm sure when they said, You guys killed this guy, Jesus, who's also God, I'm sure that didn't go over very well. It's kind of an offensive message. You're guilty. And uh, basically, the people were like, Peter, you just want us to feel bad. And Peter's like, Yeah. Oh, actually, no. Like, worse than that. I want you to know that you are bad. Like, Peter, why do you keep talking about how we, you know, we killed Jesus? Like, can't you like, kind of get over that? Or maybe we weren't as guilty as you thought. Like, Peter's like, No, like, you're guilty. You're really guilty. And that is an offensive thing. And all of us, even though we didn't live then, all of us are just as guilty. We have all committed cosmic treason against God. God is the ruler of the world. And that's the one that we decided to like raise up, rise up against. We've been given gifts that we neglect, that we take for granted. And often we chase those gifts instead of chasing after the one who gives them. We're all guilty of not honoring God the way that he deserves. And there's a real price to be paid for that. And we are so broke, we are so messed up, we're so broken, requires nothing less than the work of the Trinity itself to rescue us. It requires all three persons of the Trinity working in order to rescue us. Verse 30 says, the Father raised the Son from the dead, and now Jesus is ruling this world so that others would surrender to his rule. Not only does the Holy Spirit witness these things, he's also been given the Holy Spirit. He's been given to everyone who believes in this King. And everyone who believes in Jesus and King Jesus obeys him. If we say we trust King Jesus with our lives and all we do are supposed to be aligned with him, that's not for our comfort. We know it's not always very comfortable to do that. It's not for our comfort. It's not definitely not for religious box ticking. It's our life and our highest priority. And this is an offensive message to any other story of how to have the good life. Basically, Peter's saying, like, this is the good life. It may not look good on the outset, but actually it is. It's an offense to people who think that life is about trying hard. It's an offense to people who think that money is the way in order to get comfort and to get the good life. It's offensive to people who believe all faiths are the same. Like, this message tells us that we aren't good. <coughs> That's offensive. I don't want to be told I'm not good. I don't want to be told how good I am. And it's also offensive in that the good life is one of surrender. Submission? Like, surely that's something that, like, we as human beings have gone past and moved forward from. So there's an offensive message there. There's also, um, uh, there's an offensive method, I think, uh, in, in here. So uh, verse 29, uh, where uh, Peter and all the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. So Peter in that verse is putting obeying God on the opposite side of, of obeying man. These are like two dichotomy. This is like, there's, there's no similarity between the two in this, in this context here. And that's offensive to people who think they're in charge. These are like the ruling class people. Uh, it's offensive to people who believe they're in authority, to others who believe they're in control. That's a bold statement to give someone who has the power to put you in jail, kill you or flog you or do whatever else. Like Peter is kind of throwing everything in the wind. But those who are filled with the Holy Spirit have a higher authority, a higher allegiance than anything else. And this is not only offensive to other people who aren't part of the church. This is is offense to all the parts of us that shrink back from the reign of King Jesus in our lives. The consumerist life tells us we must make this much money, work this many hours, and be very comfortable in this very particular way. And we think if our lives are set up in such a way, we're not going to experience suffering. But we all know that's not true. It's an illusion of control. It's not even control. It's an illusion of control. The offensive gospel is always paired with an offensive method that tells us we are not the center of the universe. And because of Peter's eloquent speech, they get flogged. Yeah, what a great speech. Surely, like, people came to faith. No, 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 they get flogged. Way to go. They've already been jailed. Now they get the blessing of being flogged. Now, flogging uh, was public humiliation. It, it hurt a lot, also. Um, it was not a very positive thing. But here's an um, image of it. There it is. The Roman scourge or a flagrum. Uh, this is the thing they would use. Basically, they would put you, uh, you would, you'd have a column, and they'd tie your hands above. They'd expose your back, and they'd be whipping you with this thing. And these were like leather kind of straps, and these pieces uh, were bits of bone or lead balls, and they would basically bruise your body or maybe dig into your body and take parts of your flesh off as you're getting flogged. Now, it doesn't tell them tell us how many times they got flogged, but I think probably one is pretty bad. There's <laughs> probably more than one. And it was public. they try and shame these people as much as they could. That was the whole point of shaming, not just for it to hurt, but for it to be shameful. And they would live in disgrace after this. They'd be dishonorable. It's a very dishonorable thing to be flogged. It's just like how we have a cancel culture where we try and remove anybody who like messes with anything that we hold up of high esteem. we try and remove the existence of someone who's done wrong. So we have a cancel culture. They had a flogging culture. Both ways are the way the public deal with shame. I mean, this is the first century version of like Jerusalem's Facebook group kicking off. They're like, they're gonna get publicly flogged. So these apostles suffered and they suffered not just because of their, well, not because of their their own dumb decisions and not because flogging just happened to people randomly, but because they were particularly because they were following Jesus. They suffered for doing good. The mission brings suffering. I mean, Jesus told them to do this and this is what they get. Now, Jesus was no stranger to suffering. God himself, obviously, walked through suffering far deeper than any of us will ever experience. And that means also that when we walk through suffering, there's no place Jesus has not been. So regardless of whatever you go through, even if it's something that you have not even been able to tell anybody because you can't handle it, which is tragic. And please don't do that. Please tell other people. But even if you can't do that, there's always one person who knows more than you what it means to suffer. And that's Jesus, like deeper than you will ever suffer. And he's right there with you. And particularly when you suffer for God's mission, when you're outcast for following Jesus, when you hear those colleagues kind of saying, oh, there's that whatever in the background, when you're shamed in some way for being a Christian, when following Jesus becomes more difficult than following something else, because it takes a cost. It's going to cost us money, maybe. It's going to cost us positions and jobs, maybe. It's going to cost us how we do our relationships, it costs us how we do, how we deal with time, it costs us our sexual ethics. But in all those things, we hear Jesus tell us, "I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. I am with you always to the ends of the earth. He's always with us. Wherever we go, He is. So we know the mission brings suffering. The Bible's very honest with that. Jesus is very honest with that. Jesus' own life is, is a version of that. Um, the mission, although, also brings purpose. There are signs and wonders at the be- very beginning of this story. After everybody's afraid to join this church where people are dropping dead, I don't blame them. Uh, verse 12, the apostles perform many signs and wonders among the people. Uh, and even though there are signs and wonders, though, that's not where purpose comes from. Some are afraid of the church. Others are attracted to it. Basically, the, what we're finding out here, which is something that we know from our experience, the church is not for everybody, but it is for some. That's how it can say, no one else dared join them. And then it said, nevertheless, more and more believed. The church is not for everybody, but it is for some. And some are afraid of the church. Others are attracted to it. Some join in, but that's not where purpose comes from. These are all aspects of the mission for the apostles, but their purpose comes from somewhere else. Let's look at uh, verses 19 and 20 together. Uh, In verse 19, these apostles uh, are in, in prison. And during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. And this angel tells them, what kind of crazy experience. Imagine if this would happen to you. Um, Verse 20 is this angel's words to these people. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people about this new life. So that's a purpose given, and angels are like mouthpieces of God. This is the purpose that the apostles have been given from God. They're freed, not just for freedom's sake. They're freed, not just for comfort. They're freed, not just for the sake of justice. All those things are great, but that's not their purpose. They're freed to be able to tell others. They're freed for the mission. The mission gives them the purpose. It's not so people will join because people are going, to, some people might, some people won't. That's not where their purpose comes from. That's circumstantial. The purpose comes from something else. It's to tell the people about this new life. The good news is that they have a new life and that's what they need to tell people about. Tell people all about this new life. And in the very last, uh, last verse, uh, in verse 42, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news. What's the good news? that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the King. They're telling people about their new life and the good news is that Jesus is the King. These disciples are free to tell others that Jesus is the King and because of that, we can have a new life. They can have a purpose even when in prison, even when oppressed. Oftentimes we feel like because of our circumstances, we can't you know, fulfill the purposes that God has given us. That's just not true. Regardless of whatever is going on in our lives, God has given all of us a purpose. All of us are free to be able to tell others about how Jesus is king and therefore how we get to have a new life. So the angel did not say, go and convert people, though of course that would be great. They want people to be converted. They want people to follow Jesus, but that was not their purpose. They weren't, they aren't called to change other people's hearts. Our purpose is to tell others about our new life. That's radically different. And there's no way to talk about our new life without talking about Jesus being king. We're not called to bring results, though that would be great and we hope and we pray for them. We are called to be faithful to telling the message. Jesus is king. We have a new life. So failure then isn't that people aren't coming to faith. Failure is us not talking about how we have a new life. That like frees us from results. I don't know. Like that can be wildly freeing for people who are so achievement oriented like myself to be like, actually, it doesn't like, not that it doesn't matter. It's not my job to convert somebody. It's not your job to convert anybody. That's Jesus's job. And if people agree with us or not, if we plan a thing and nobody comes, okay, that's fine. That's not our job if people come or not. It's all about giving it a go. And being in God's mission gives us a purpose, not based on results, but based on the reality of being rooted and in, in, in having a new life through Jesus. And so let's just take a second here and, and um, dig in on these two things that we're called to talk about, uh, Jesus being king in our new life. So the word gospel means good news. And gospel during this time was a very common thing um, for a new ruler. If a new ruler was taken over, say, especially in Rome, you have a new governor in your particular area, or especially a new emperor, they would send out a gospel. And a gospel was basically like, here is the good news subjects for why I am king. It's good news that I am king for you because of da-da-da-da-da, and because I'm going to make life better, whatever kind of things that politicians like to tell other people. So um, that would be very common... um, method of of uh, communication then so when a new ruler took over the government government they would send out this gospel to all their subjects and this is exactly what the gospels are about these two things jesus being king and our new life when jesus comes on the scene his gospel is i am the king and this is why it's good news for you you get a new life that's not anything any caesar could have ever hoped for it is good news that jesus is king because it means we can have a new life because jesus is king Means I'm not. And even though I don't like that and it's offensive, it's actually really good news. Because I can't be. Because now I don't have to shoulder the weight of the world. I don't need to carry that. Because Jesus is king. I'm free from living a codependent life with my partner and relationships can be imperfect and I can still live in my new life. Because Jesus is king. I don't have to prove to others that I am. That frees me to be a human. And that's pretty good. Because it's who we are. Because Jesus is king, all the things out of my control are under God's control. And God has told me over and over and over that he loves me. So even when confronted with death, Jesus is king. And that king loves me beyond anything else I even know. Because Jesus is king, he put death to death and only he is powerful enough to do that. Only he is good enough to be able to do that for me. Because Jesus is king, I can now in the present not miss out on the good life, regardless of what's going on in my circumstances. I can experience the good life in every circumstance. And the world does not need to be set up in a certain way in order for me to be satisfied. Because Jesus is king, I now have a new life and am free who I was created to be. And that's amazingly good news. If we don't understand it ourselves, if we don't enjoy it ourselves, how can we possibly live on this mission where we're supposed to tell it to others? We have to enjoy it and love it and embrace it ourselves first. So if, if, do we know really how to talk about the good news of Jesus being king and our new lives with others and what that can mean for them? It doesn't mean you have to be the really awkward, weird Christian be like, did you know that Jesus is king and therefore blah, blah, blah. But everyone is, if you're trying to be a king, that that is enslavement. And what could it look like for that person to not be enslaved to that thing that they're not king over, but think that they're going to be king over? Imagine what it could be like for someone to have a new life when they could be freed from those things. And that's how we talk to the people that we love about Jesus. And no matter our circumstance, even when oppressed, people who are filled with the Spirit cannot be stopped because we're filled with the Spirit. There is nothing strong enough in this world to suppress the power of the Spirit. Man cannot stop God's rescue plan as it says in verse 42, day after day in the temple courts from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the, is the Messiah, is the King. They were obsessed. It's like what they were all about. It's what their life was about. And what do these oppressed people do? Warned not to talk about their new lives in verse 28, they fill Jerusalem with the teaching. Exactly the thing they're not supposed to do. And wouldn't it be amazing that our church could be a part of filling Charlton with the teaching of Jesus? How amazing would that be? Like, that's why we're here, right? That's what we're doing this for. And that's not just about, you know, whoever speaks on a Sunday. This application is for all of us to talk about our new lives, to talk about Jesus being king. And here's, I think, the really interesting thing. Without being thrown in jail, where would the apostles have been? The story would have been completely different. Without actually going through the suffering that the mission inevitably brings, they wouldn't have found this purpose because they wouldn't have been a jail to be released from to begin with. One of our biggest problems with suffering often is not understanding what it's for. Like we cry out, like, why? Why am I going through this? Why, why is this going on? I think it's the meaningless part that can be really difficult to deal with. And I totally get that. But if we know that God has purposes deeper than our circumstances, that allows us to endure in suffering, even if we don't completely understand everything in the moment. We don't often know in the moment, and maybe we won't decades from now, or maybe we never actually completely will. But if Jesus is the king, that means he's in charge. And there is a purpose in that. And we may not be privy to that all the time, but we know there is a purpose in it. C.S. Lewis has this great quote that gets, I mean, he's so quotable. And this is one of his fantastic quotes. His pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our consciences, but shouts to us in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world or a deaf person? Where are we deaf? Where is God shouting to us? What is God trying to get at within us? Oftentimes when we're in pain, we just want the pain to stop. And that's a totally fine thing to pray for. But what, is, what else is going on underneath the surface? When I was accused by my father for a crime, um, I didn't commit when I felt like the world was against me. My thoughts were like, we're completely like God, I'm serving your church. I've held up my end of the bargain. Why are you not holding up yours? Like, why are you doing this to me? Aren't you supposed to be good? Like, what's your problem? I thought you were strong. I thought you were good. I thought you were powerful. I thought you were with me. Why do you just appear wicked and weak? Why are you letting injustice go on? Don't you actually, I don't think you really actually care about me. Essentially, that was what I was saying. I am good, God. You're not. Can't you like get on board with my goodness and deliver me? Which obviously is ridiculous. No pastor should ever say that. <laughs> Yet that's what I was kind of believing. And it's such a horrible lie because I can never keep up my end of the bargain. There's no bargain that I can ever keep up with on my side. And why did Jesus die? Because it was proof that I could never keep up my end of the bargain. Jesus died in my place. Does he really need to prove himself anymore? Does he really need to prove himself to be good? He's already done that more than I could even imagine. Are we ever gonna scrape the depths of how much the cross matters to us and how much it changes our lives? Never. So there needs to be nothing else God needs to do to prove his goodness. Is the problem uh, God isn't good or is the problem that I'm actually blinded to his goodness there in my life now and in the future? God shouted at us in our pain over those two years of having to deal with craziness with my father, being accused, facing the reality of prison for four years or something I didn't do. We were just completely desperate for him to come through. We didn't understand anything and no one else really understood anything either. They couldn't really help us. But I think we understand a little bit of, of what it meant for us to go through all of that now. I mean, God shouted at us in our pain. He had to allow that pain in order for us to grow in our closeness to him. Um, and if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have been part of church planting. If it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have moved to Manchester. If it wasn't for that, we wouldn't be able to be part of a church with you guys. But we didn't think about that in the moment. We're like, oh, God, thank you so much. You've given us the suffering. I cannot wait to uh, embrace all the glories that you have to give me. Like, it was definitely not the case. It was like, God, this is horrible. This sucks. Please make it stop. And that's, that's a great prayer to have, actually. It's a really great, honest prayer. A lot of Psalms are a lot like that. But know that even while you're praying in that, God has something deeper he's doing in you. And it would be a shame for you to miss that. I mean, this saves us also from our incestual involvement with our circumstances. We can be so obsessed with how we are doing, how the world's set up, that if things are not so, if we're going through hard times, we can't see around it, we get too involved with our circumstances. It's like incest, emotionally like being way too close with the thing. Now, I understand it's difficult when we go through this, and that's not to degrade any kind of suffering that people are going through now. But when it comes to people we love, when it comes to our well-being, it's difficult to avoid, very difficult to avoid, an unhealthy relationship with our circumstances. But, if we believe Jesus is king and not just say that, but actually really believe it, that frees us to have healthy relationships with our circumstances. That means we can go through difficult things and still be deeply affected by it. We're not gonna go through it like numb, still be deeply affected by it, but not have our world revolve around it. I think that's the difference. Being affected by it, but not having your life revolve around it. And that frees us from needing to always understand everything, gives us the ability to give up, throw our arms to Jesus, and he picks us up. That flips our circumstances now because instead of us being enslaved to them, now those circumstances get to be enslaved to us. We get to use the circumstances for God's purposes, for his glory. The um, author and pastor, Tepidium Mobile has said this a few times about suffering. He says, the next time suffering comes into your room, say, welcome my slave, produce for me the glory that God d- desires. That's strong. We can't say that without Jesus. There's no power in humans to be able to say that, but through Jesus, we could say something like that. Maybe not welcome. Like, stay as long as you want, but you know, I'm going to bed early. So the mission brings suffering. The mission brings purpose. And that means even in our suffering, we might feel meaningless, but God still has his purposes at work. Now that's a lot of stuff. And we could stop there. But there's, I think, one more thing uh, important that we need to look at. Because I mentioned earlier that our mission isn't rooted in in results, isn't rooted in numbers or things like that. The great news, uh, and that's great news because it frees us from some performance measure that we can't control anyway. So our mission is rooted first in the reality of God's love for us. And if we're living by results, we're always gonna be burdened because that's rooted first in what we can do for God. Our mission first is rooted in the reality of God's love for us. Always, Even when we're outwardly obedient to our mission, it will still feel like a weight if we're all about results. But if we're about the reality of God's love, that changes uh, the mission to actually not bring us burdens, but to bring us joy. Whenever it's like, whenever someone gets up in a church to talk about evangelism, it's like, oh, I know that's not something I do. It's almost like kind of like prayer. Like, oh, I don't do enough of that. Except for Alan. <laughs> 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 whose full-time job is to pray, uh, keeping it up for the rest of us. Now, the, um, I mean, why does it, evangelism should not be a burden. Like, the mission is supposed to bring us joy. I mean, the mission brought the apostles joy. So how do we get to the same point that the apostles did? Because they went through stuff that was much more difficult than ours. Like, we can be slightly shamed. They can be flogged. So that, that, I think it's really important for us to look at this. First of all, think for a moment of this whole story Uh, what are others outside the church thinking of this kind of crazy rogue group now? Um, They're not mainstream. They're shamed. They're like this public kind of like flogging thing has gone on. Are these people in the church, or at least these leaders that we get to hear about, are they experiencing shame? We could totally understand if they were, but they're not. It's like they're impervious to it. These crazy people are rejoicing. That's ridiculous. They are happy they could be counted worthy of suffering disgrace. I don't understand what that means. What in the, and, that, and that's the thing that brings them joy. In prison and flogging and persecution, the church knew that the mission brings joy, not because thousands are joining. They're not right now. Not because they're getting a buzz in social media because they're getting canceled here. They're getting unfollowed. Not because others like them or things are finally getting easier and they can finally kind of relax for a bit. Listen, their joy did not come from results. The joy came from the reality, Jesus being king, and then having a new life. That's where the joy comes from. Joy in Christ is greater than any pain and suffering. And if Jesus is the king, if he's my king, I have a new life. Jesus gives me a new life. Through that new life, I get joy through Jesus. Joy in Christ is greater than any pain this world's suffering can bring. And here's how that connects with our mission. Without being on Jesus's mission, This church would not have experienced uh, the joy in the same way. It was while they were on the mission that they were able to experience the joy. King Jesus brings them to a mission, and one of the byproducts is joy. How we get it? So this story teaches us that mission isn't just an option for the Christian. It's not like, yeah, you know, I can read the Bible and pray, and if I'm really good, maybe I'll say something about Jesus to somebody at some point. Like it's a fundamental part of our lives. Now we're not always gonna be able to speak about Jesus in the way that we want always to people and maybe like this kind of romanticized view of it, but it is a fundamental part of our lives to be on Jesus's mission. And it's set up to deliver us joy because it's set up to, for who we are. God wants us to experience joy and we're most fully human. And it's not always easy, but joy is found here. If we say that Jesus is King and really our mission is comfort, we're gonna live in this halfway Christian life not really fully getting all the world's comforts, not really fully getting all the comforts and, and joy that comes from the church. And that's horrible. It's just like anxious. It's burdening because we don't feel like we're really here or there. We're not really all in on mission. And therefore, we're not really gonna be all in with the joy that comes from mission. And these disciples, that they just can't stop. They fill Jerusalem with the great news of Jesus being king and our new lives in him. They get shamed, humiliated, beaten. And what do they do? Verse 42, where we already talked about the very last verse. They never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the King. When we get new lives, we are saved from our small, self focused mission. We can be so kind of myopic, so self focused, so kind of, uh, we want everything to revolve around us. We think that's going to give us joy, but it never does because it's never enough. But when we're on God's glorious mission, when we get saved from those small missions, get saved to God's mission, One of the byproducts of that is joy. And that's how the early church can experience joy when people aren't joining in, when they're getting flogged, and when they're oppressed. So if you feel like joy in your life can be difficult to find, a good question to ask, and this isn't gonna solve anything, but one of the questions we should ask is at what level are we joined up with God's mission? That's not something you would think to be a one-to-one thing, but here in this story is kind of what we're hearing. Is your MC's mission just a thing to do if it's convenient? Do you labor in in the mission that God's given you the way that the early church labored in theirs? They were all in, like they couldn't stop. In having God's heart be theirs, God's purposes be theirs, they found joy, even when they were beaten for it. And that's how we have joy in this broken world. Our problem is we don't even get close to the point of maybe being shamed. We kind of stay like one, two, three kind of steps back from it. We avoid it like the plague. We're fearful of a hint of awkwardness. And then we wonder why we lack purpose and joy. It's actually really simple. We're not all in the way that God calls us to be. Joy comes from joining. So if you say you're in Christ, but aren't on his mission, we know talk is cheap. So let's repent of that. All of us are in that same boat together. It's not like some of us are, You know, the super Christians, like all of us are in the same boat together. We all need to be repenting of this. So let's all repent of not really kind of being all in with Jesus the way that he calls us to. We don't want to live some kind of halfway Christian life that's going to give us halfway joy, which isn't really worth anything. And as much as we find ourselves in Christ and therefore on his mission, that's the extent of joy to be found in this world. As much as we find ourselves in Christ, which means on his mission, that's how much we can expect to experience joy. And now kind of um, you slowly close up here. All of this, I think, can kind of sound ridiculous. So much of what we just talked about is set up completely backwards to all of our experiences in the world. Like what you're telling me not to like chase after stuff for myself first? Everything else in my world is set up for me to chase things after myself first. None of us, I think, are wired naturally for this. It's all, it's, it's difficult. It's an offense. It's an offense first. And I think maybe God might have uh, set things up that way. Might have He might have had a purpose in all this. Because if God isn't in all this stuff here, it's gonna die, and it should. I don't want to be part of that. It should die. It will be a lost cause. And that's actually what um, what uh, Gamaliel, that this um, this uh, religious leader, is talking about. Basically, he's saying if God isn't in these Christians' cause, it's gonna die. If God is in it, then like it's gonna. You know, how can you stop God? But really, Gamaliel's trying to basically say like, don't worry, simmer down, like everything, everything, you know, it'll just kind of slowly peter out. He basically, he lists these other two causes. Like, oh, so you have this one cause, the leader died, the cause died. This other cause, the leader died, so the cause died. But for Christianity, of course, we know the leader died, but he's not dead. And it sparked a global movement. He's still very much alive. And this global movement called Christianity isn't just something that's kind of barely slowly clinging on. It's growing. It's strong. Now, we may not feel strong, but we don't need to. Christ is. We may not um, hand, be able to handle the trials in front of us, let alone the trials that we're in. And that's okay. Like, we can't. Jesus is the king. In fact, every other movement, is going to come, gonna go. But Jesus is the king. And if Jesus is the king, we know he's gonna stay. Every other option of a new life, a better life, it's a lost cause. Only through Jesus can we have hope in any of this. Can we have hope in any of us? Because God is in this. And you are Jesus' cause. You are what Jesus gave his life for. In his death, he put to death everything that holds us back from his joy. In his resurrection, he gave us his Holy Spirit. Maturity means depending more, not getting stronger. It means understanding your weakness more and, using, and, and having God fill you up more. Maturity means depending more, relying on the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, we have eyes to see his mission. And through the Holy Spirit, we have power to be able to join in when we get purpose and we get joy. And that's what we get to celebrate when we come up here. We get to tell God we're sorry for how we relied on results to bring us joy and ask that we live more into the reality of this new life that we already have. It's been given to us by the King. The bread and the cup are a symbol of what it took for King Jesus to win you back from death. Jesus, that's why we do it every week. Because we forget it more than every week. But at the very least, we know every week we get to remember this—the the the lengths that Jesus went to to win you to Himself. Because you are His mission. You are His purpose. I'm gonna ask someone with cleaner and non-sickly hands come and do the normal stuff because uh, we're all very hygienic now. Um, we never, yeah, apparently we weren't before, but. Um, <laughs> Don't ask questions, Uh, but this meal—thanks, Mike. Yeah, this meal is a gift. Uh, Like you're kind of like my little uh, servant, like breaking my food for me, (laughs) and you pour it directly into my. (laughs) So this meal is a gift. You didn't do anything to deserve it. For everyone who has Jesus as their King, we we come up empty-handed. We get to be fed, and this is the Christian life. Nothing of ourselves to give and we get to be filled by the Spirit. If you don't follow Jesus yet, that's fine. We're glad that you're here, but please don't do something that you don't believe in. Uh, if you haven't done this before, though, and you do want to follow Jesus, this is a great first step. Everyone is welcome at Jesus' table, you don't have to be a member of, of our particular church to do that. But having this new life that we're celebrating through taking the bread and singing um, means that we don't live for our small, small missions anymore. We're not imprisoned by our circumstances anymore. We get to be free to live a new life one that brings us joy, one that brings us purpose, because we get to be saved from those small self-centered missions, saved to God's big glorious mission. And as we do, we get joy, a joy that is reserved for those who are close to Jesus. Let me pray.